Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson starts a new series titled Real with Part 1, Real Impact. Being real spiritually changes everything. Just as Paul confronts and challenges the Corinthians regarding certain issues, we must allow the Holy Spirit to do the same in us. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Before we get started here, for anybody who wants one, I'm, I'm feeling generous. So I've got a $10 bill in here. So I'm going to give a $10 bill if anybody wants it. You got, you got to come get it. You can't just yell at me. You have to come get it. I'll give you. Okay. Here's it. She's faster. I tell you what, I'm going to give you a 10. Stay up here, Brooke. I'm going to give you a 10. I'm going to give you a 20. Did, Thank you, Pastor. Ah, did you see it? Did you like it? I do. You do, really? You can't spend it, can you? Show everybody the dollar, the 10, 20. It's, it's funny money. It's not real. Are you disappointed? Hey, if it'll help, I've got a $100,000 bill. You want that one? That's worth a little more. Hey, you know what? You get really excited and then you realize it's not real. It's kind of like, oh, bummer. It's a lot better when it's real, isn't it? Here's a great truth to remember. When it's real, it changes everything. We're going to start a new series this morning. It's going to be from 1 Corinthians. And it's just entitled Real. And real has really two connotations. One, it means to actually exist, but also to be genuine. And both are important because something can actually exist, like this funny money I handed out. It's real in the sense that it actually exists, but it's not genuine. It's not real money. It's not genuine dollars. So to be real, it actually exists, but it has to be genuine as well. And we think about that spiritually when we understand that God is real, that Jesus is real, that the Holy Spirit who lives in us as believers is real. It's not fantasy, it's not fairy tale, it's not mysticism. When we understand and we make our faith and our walk and our relationship and our commitment to him real, when we understand that we have a real desire to know him and a real desire to follow him and a real desire to wanna be like him, when all of that's real, it changes everything. And it creates in us this, this powerful, positive dynamic in our life. So 1 Corinthians is a, is a pretty good book to talk about being real because it's all about being real. 1 Corinthians is a real letter written by a real person, written to a real church in a real city. And these are real believers having real problems, real issues, and having to deal with some real things. But they also are called to have a real effect in their community, in their city. So Paul's writing to them to help them with that. And what we see in 1 Corinthians, the church there, is we see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because there are a lot of things going on in that church that have to be dealt with. And so Paul's writing here in 1 Corinthians to help them with that. Paul is seeing some things in the church, in the believers, that is disturbing, is problematic, 
And so he's writing to them to, to address those issues. Here's what's going on. Here are some things going on that shouldn't be going on. You're, you've got things out of order. So he's writing to correct these things and to teach on these things and, and to challenge them in some different areas. And when I read through that and think through that, that's exactly the way we should be with the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit's in us, we should have enough realness to let him come into our spirit and say, hey, there are maybe some things in your life that are out of order. They're out of sync. Some things that, that are going on that shouldn't be going on. And so just like the Corinthians are allowing Paul to speak into them, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into us and say, hey, here's some areas that need to be looked at. And we allow the Spirit to challenge us and to convict us and to teach us and to change us. That's what's being real because that's what it takes to be real. And when we have a real desire to know him and to follow him and to be used by him. When we have a real walk and a real faith, that's part of the deal. We have to deal with the good and the bad and the ugly. And we give the, the, the spirit just permission to say, hey, here's me. Here's our church corporately. There's some stuff that needs to be addressed. And so we're going to let you address it and take care of it. That's being real. So let me give you a little context here about Corinth. In chapter 1, verse 2, as we lay some foundation here, Paul tells us who he's writing to. It's to the church of God in Corinth. Now he goes on and says, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord. So ultimately, this is for everybody that is going to follow Christ. But immediately and specifically, it's to the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was founded in the 10th century B.C. And it was a Greek city, a Greek colony. But in 146 B.C., the Romans came and they leveled the city. They killed most of the inhabitants. They did send a few wealthy families off to a nearby island. And then some squatters just kind of occupied that site for, for about 100 years or so. In 44 BC, Julius Caesar came and refounded this city, reestablished this city, and rebuilt this city. Now it's a Roman city and a Roman colony. And it's got the same characteristics as the Greek city of Corinth had. Paul comes and visits the city somewhere around AD 51, so another 100 years later or so. By the time Paul gets on the scene, <clears throat> by the time we see this written and all this going on that we're looking at in 1 Corinthians, it's now once again a thriving city, a very prosperous city. And Corinth was a major economic center. It was a commercial crossroads. It was very uh, prosperous and wealthy. They estimate the, the population somewhere between 100,000 and 600,000, whichever end it's on. In that day, that would still be considered a very large city. Uh, it was diverse. It had Greeks and Romans and Syrians and Jews. Uh, there were freedmen. There were slaves. There were some that were uneducated and poor, but it had a huge population of very wealthy people, very influential people. Uh, so it was very diverse. There were sailors and merchants because of the, the port location, people coming in and out. But a historian, Leon Morris, uh, describes Corinth as intellectually alert, materially prosperous, and morally corrupt. So as we look at Corinth, as we get started here, there's, there's three characteristics that make up the fabric of Corinth. In other words, three things that Corinth was really known for. And the first was promiscuity. 
just sexual immorality. They had a huge human trafficking trade, sex traffic trade, both from a religious perspective and a secular perspective. In the Greek colony, there was the temple of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love and beauty. And it was said that in their temple that there were a thousand prostitutes. So it was morally corrupt and promiscuous. There was a a playwright named uh, Aristophanes in the fourth century BC that coined a word after the Corinthians that means sexual immorality and sexual promiscuity. And the word is Corinthianize. So when he would write and he would talk about in his, in his stories sexual immorality, he would use the word Corinthianize and he would call them Corinthians, that they're, they're so promiscuous. So promiscuous. So Paul knows this. Paul understands this is the culture of Corinth. So that's why when he starts here in chapter 1, verse 2, he goes on and says, to the church of, Corinth in, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. He addresses this issue with the believers immediately. In this context of sexual immorality, he says, you are sanctified in Jesus Christ. In other words, presently, you have been changed and you have been made new and you're called to be holy. In other words, you're called to live a holy life, a life that follows after Christ. In other words, you're not called to live a sexually immoral life. You're called into holiness. So he addresses this right off the bat. There's a second characteristic of Corinth and that is their pride. They were extremely prideful. Uh, they were well-educated. They were smart. So they, they took pride in their education, in their knowledge. They had great orators. So they took pride in their oratory skills, in their philosophy, in their wisdom. They were very wealthy, very prosperous. And this was all self-generated wealth. So they took great pride in all their material possessions and what they've done in this city. Basically, they were just boasting about who they are and prideful about themselves. Again, Paul knows that. So in verses four and five, he addresses that as well. He says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all of your knowledge. In other words, he understands that the Corinthians are taking great pride in themselves saying that they're enriched in every way. But he's addressing this and, switch, and switching and saying, no, you're enriched in every way because of Jesus Christ and because of what he's done in you you are the ones who are wealthy and enriched. So he twists this and turns this as well. There's one other characteristic that Paul addresses. That's the fabric of Corinth, and that's polytheism. They worship many gods. Because of that, um, they didn't believe one God oversaw everything. And because they're idols, there was no relationship. There's no fellowship. It was, it was, it was a deal of, of just trying to appease the gods and trying to do some ritualistic activities to try to get these gods to, to be in their favor. So there was no relationship or intimacy with this God. And Paul understands that as well. So he addresses that in verse 9. And he says, God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. He's making two points right off the bat with these believers. One is that there's only one God. There's not a bunch of them. There's only one, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is the Lord, and he is the God. But secondly, he's saying he has called you into fellowship, into relationship. All these idols, they're just either sitting on a shelf somewhere or they're sitting in a temple somewhere with no ability to relate. But he's saying 
through Jesus Christ, you've got a God who desires and has called you in to an intimate fellowship and relationship with himself. So it's in this backdrop of promiscuity and pride and polytheism that Paul addresses these believers in Corinth and begins to talk to them. And he's going to try to give them some insight in this world. And this is important because these believers are all new believers. They're all young Christians and they're trying to figure everything out. And not all of them, but some of them, some of them were, were uh, God-fearing Jews. But most of the population in this church came out of the context of the fabric of Corinth. They were Greeks and they were Romans and they were Syrians and they were raised in this culture of promiscuity and pride and polytheism. And that was part of who they were. Now they've come and they've received Christ and they've gone into this church, but they're new believers that have been flooded with all this stuff all their life. And unfortunately, they brought all this stuff into the church. <laughs> and so Paul has to address this and say, there's a different way. There's some issues we need to deal with and change this cultural dynamic. So what we're going to do in this series is just walk through and look at some of these issues, and we're just going to be real. It's not going to be a verse-by-verse verse look at 1 Corinthians. We're instead going to look at just a variety of issues over the next few weeks. And I want to start with one this morning to lay the foundation, if you will, to kind of set the table. It's kind of a broad Heading. It's in um, verse 31, chapter 1, verse 31. It may be one of the uh, overriding verses in the entire book of 1 Corinthians. Verse 31 says, Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. And I think when he says this, I think he's talking about what I'm going to call the concept of real impact. That's what I want to talk about this morning, real impact. He says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, that word boast, it, it means to brag, as you would, would know, but it's a little deeper than that, actually. It means to rejoice in or to glory in. It can be, be used in a positive or negative. It depends the, on the object that's being boasted about. But it's to, to rejoice in and to glory in. So he says, first, let him who boasts. Now, he's taking this from Jeremiah 9, 24. He kind of condenses that passage as he talks about boasting here. And what he's realizing is that the Corinthians, not the believers, but in the city, all these Corinthians, they're boasting about two things. They're boasting first about self. All of this pride their self-accomplishments, their wealth, their education, their learning, their ability, their skills. They're, they're boasting about themselves. But secondly, they're boasting about sin. They're boasting in their sin. In other words, what should create shame in their life, they're actually boasting about. Philippians 3.19 was talking about this dynamic. It says that their glory is in their shame. What that means is, what should bring people shame, they're actually glorying in. They are rejoicing in. This is what's taking place with the Corinthians. They're boasting not just about their self, but also about their sin. And what should embarrass them, they're rejoicing in. In other words, those in the city have become so twisted, they've become so deceived that now what they 
think is good is really evil. What they think is evil is really good, and it's, it's twisted all of this. And so they're spending all this time boasting and rejoicing in their self and in their sin. And unfortunately, this has gone into the church. It has bled into the church. And the believers have taken this same mentality and this same boasting into the church. What we'll see as we move forward is some are, are boasting about certain spiritual gifts that they have. Some of them are boasting about um, certain people that discipled them and that they followed. Some of them are boasting in sexual immorality and relationships that should have just embarrassed them and they're celebrating and rejoicing in that deal. So Paul's saying, <laughs> don't boast in that. If you're gonna boast, let him who boasts, what? Boast in the Lord. Boast in the, in the one thing that you ought to be boasting about, and that's Jesus Christ. The only one that's worthy about being bragged on and rejoiced on is Jesus Christ. It says boast in the Lord. And I think it's all about impact. I think Paul may have in his mind this concept of impact, and it's twofold. One is because of the impact Jesus Christ has made in your life. Jesus Christ has made such an impact that should create in us a desire to boast and brag about him and rejoice in what he's done in our life. But then the second dynamic is because of that, it moves us to have a desire to have an impact in the world. Because Christ has impacted us, we know the impact that he has, that should well up in us a desire to go out into the world and help other people experience that same kind of impact. So it's a twofold, it's a dual impact. And I think what Paul's really trying to say is when he says, boast in the Lord, it's because of that. One is because I'm just rejoicing in what Christ has done in me, but the way I impact the world is to boast about Christ in the world so there's a positive impact taking place there. So... I want to talk a little bit about impact. Let me illustrate two types of impact. There's, there's one kind of impact that I call the hammer effect. And this might be loud. If you don't like loud noises, just hold your ears. But here's the hammer impact. Okay? Now let me show you. What do you notice? There's an imprint. Here's a truth you can remember. Real impact leaves a real imprint. If you want to know if Christ has made a real impact in your life, see if there's been a real imprint in your life. If you want to know if you're making a real impact in the world, look and see if you're leaving a real imprint in the world. So there's this immediate impact, this, this violent collision, if you will, that leaves this, imp this imprint. That's, that's one kind of impact. There's a second kind of impact which is I call the woodpecker effect. Now, here's my woodpecker. Now, be good to me. I know it's not a woodpecker, okay? But I, just for the record, Amarillo has no woodpeckers. Live ones, dead ones, wood ones, metal ones, nothing. There ain't none. So I had to improvise a little bit. But it's low-budget theater, so we can do, we do with what we've got. But we all know the woodpecker effect, right? This amazing animal that... A billion times a minute, it seems like, they're just bobbing this deal and they're making a dent. Now, when they hit once, ah, uh, doesn't really have much impact. But when they start just doing their thing, after a while, what happens? You begin to see the impact. So this is a second kind of impact. This is an impact that 
creates and, and takes place over time. And these multiple impacts, if you will, over time creates this ever-broadening, ever-growing impact and imprint. So as we talk about impact, we're talking about these two types of impact, an immediate collision that leaves an immediate imprint, and then this ongoing impact that continues and grows. Now, spiritually speaking, we see this dual impact in a, in a variety of ways. One, we see it in a personal level. And it starts with salvation. Salvation is this hammer effect, this immediate impact. When we're saved, this justification, there's this immediate impact, this, this collision, if you will, between God's grace and my sin, and it collides together, and it leaves this imprint of salvation where God's spirit and my spirit are joined together, and there's this immediate change. There's this immediate thing that happens and takes place. But then sanctification takes place where the Holy Spirit now resides in us and we give him permission, just like that woodpecker, to find those areas of our lives and just let him keep picking and picking and picking and picking and picking and picking and change us and challenge us and convict us where we grow in Christ's likeness and we grow in holiness. We also see it in the corporate level. We see this in Acts. If you remember that the disciples are filled with the Spirit and they go out on Pentecost and they begin preaching and there's this immediate impact, this immediate collision where the gospel comes, the Spirit comes and thousands of people are saved, just boom. But then if you keep reading Acts, you see that the believers, it said, met day to day. They met from house to house. They're meeting all through the week and it says daily people are coming to the kingdom. So what you see is this immediate impact at Pentecost and then you have this residual impact just continuing to take place as people are living out the faith and continue to share the gospel. So I think what Paul's trying to communicate here is you should boast in the Lord because of this dual impact. When we boast in the Lord, number one, we're talking about this concept of salvation and what Christ wants to do in your life immediately and the change and the imprint that he makes in your life immediately. But then he wants to do two things in your life. One, he wants you to let the Holy Spirit continue to teach you and make you and shape you and form you. But he also wants to use you to go into the world boasting about the Lord. And as you boast in the Lord, what happens is, like it did in Acts, people continuing to come to Christ because they're seeing the difference, they're seeing the imprint that Christ has made in your life. And they say, I wanna be a part of that. And when people see and hear the change and the life that he has brought us, it makes them um, desirous to know what's going on. Now, back to Corinth, what we see in Corinth really is just the opposite. We've seen an impact, and we've seen an imprint, but it's the negative. Remember, boasting can be good or bad. Depends on the object of boast. And the enemy has been very effective in Corinth in making an impact and leaving an imprint. And the imprint that the enemy has left in Corinth is promiscuity and pride and polytheism. 
And now there's this imprint taking place. And what Paul is saying is instead of letting the enemy have his impact and leave his imprint, we as believers should allow Christ to make his impact and leave his imprint. When you think about impact, there's, there's a progression to impact. I, I see it as a three-step impression, uh, progression. One is a belief system. That belief system then turns into a lifestyle. In other words, if a person buys into this belief system, they live that way and it becomes their lifestyle. The third step is it becomes a culture. In other words, if enough people buy into the belief system and live the lifestyle and they live that, if enough people do that long enough, it becomes the culture. And that's what has happened at Corinth. The enemy has set up a belief system. And the belief system is promiscuity and pride and polytheism. And he's brought this belief system. And now people have bought into that belief system. And different people have started to live a lifestyle that follows that belief system. In other words, they are living in sexual immorality. They are living out of pride. They are living in polytheism and they've developed that lifestyle. And in Corinth, there were enough people doing that long enough that now the culture of Corinth is those three characteristics. And when you look at Corinth, you look at the culture that the enemy set up through a belief system that the people bought into as a lifestyle. What Paul is saying is, that ought to be different. I'm calling you to switch it because the positive is true too. And Christ, God has a belief system as well. And the belief system that Paul is trying to demonstrate here in Corinthians is it's all about Jesus Christ, that there is one true God, one genuine God, came in the form of Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, that we have a relationship with, we have a fellowship with, and it produces a life of holiness. That's why he says those sanctified and called into holiness. In other words, there's a belief system he's trying to set up that revolves around who Jesus is and the life that he's called us to, which is a life of holiness. That's the belief system. So he's calling us as believers to live that lifestyle, to walk in holiness. And if enough of us will do that, for long enough, we will change the culture and we'll develop a culture of godliness and holiness. That's what Paul's trying to communicate. He said, so in the church in Corinth, you're full still of the culture of Corinth. And I want to help you shape more into the culture of Christ. And it's all about impact. He wants to switch it. And I think what Paul's trying to say is that happens when we boast in the Lord. It happens through boasting, through bragging on Jesus, not boasting about ourselves, not boasting about our church, not boasting about our goodness, not even boasting about things that we shouldn't even be boasting about, but that we brag about Jesus. We've got a four-part vision statement at River Fellowship. The second one is exalt Christ. We could say it this way, boast in the Lord. River Fellowship is about boasting in the Lord, it's about bragging on Jesus, not who we are, nothing about ourselves, nothing about what we're doing. It's all about bragging on Jesus. And it's because of the impact that he's made in our life. And it's because we want to carry that into the world so that the world is impacted as well.
So with that being said, I want to end with asking you three questions. I just want you to think about these today as we go through the series. It's about being real. Here's the first question. Has Jesus impacted your life? Has Jesus impacted your life? Have you had that initial collision between God's grace and your sin where you have said to Jesus Christ, I know that you're God's son and I want to invite you into my life and change me and make me new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That initial collision where he changes me and makes me new when he takes my sin. Has Christ impacted your life? If the answer is no this morning, my prayer is you will not leave today from this place without having that relationship intact. In a few minutes when we sing, we're going to have prayer partners around the room that would love to talk to you and love to pray with you. And I would encourage you, if, if your answer is no to this, that you would find someone and say, I want to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. But if your answer is yes, let me encourage you, will you boast about him? Will you brag about him in your work environment, in your home? Will, the, will your life consist of boasting about him and telling others the impact that he's made on your life? Here's a second question. Am I allowing the Spirit to make his imprint in my life? Am I giving the Spirit permission to keep pecking away, to keep chipping away when he sees those areas of my life that shouldn't be there? Am I giving him permission to convict me and to challenge me and to shape me and to form me so that I become more and more into the image of Christ? Again, if the answer is no, my prayer is, That'll be yes. Here's the third question. Am I willing to be used to impact the world? Am I willing to be part of the body that says, I'm not content to just be in my little holy huddle. I'm not content just to have this great, cool Christian life where things are okay with me. I'm not content for that. I want to be used by God to impact the world. I want to go into my community. I want to go into my world. I want to let people know the life change that Christ can make. And I want to go out and be part of making an impact and boasting on the Lord. My prayer is that we answer yes. So Paul starts it off here. About being real. It starts here. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. May that be our prayer. May that be our practice. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.